Well, hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Teamwork, A Better Way podcast. Uh, welcome this beautiful 15th of March, 2022, the Ides of March, Spencer. That's Spencer, right. my uh, illustrious co-host, uh, it's so great to see you today. How are you doing? Fantastic, Christian. Good to be with you, as always. It was great to see you in person on Friday at our, our favorite Mexican restaurant in the whole world. Yes, uh, give a huge shout out to Red Iguana. So um, uh, absolutely uh, lovely, lovely restaurant. And uh, it's, it's unparalleled for mole. So I got to give it major props. Well, anyway, well, let's get to uh, let's get to our topic. We got a lot to talk about today. We do. We have a lot to talk about. We don't have a lot of time. So why don't you introduce us, Spencer, to to our topic which is timely because of something that happened recently in the news. That's right. Uh, a remarkable discovery 106 years after an event. So what are we going to talk about? Well, you know, th this, uh, this discovery on the 9th of March of the, of the ship Endurance that was, uh, gosh, set sail in 1914 from South Georgia Island with Ernest Shackleton, Sir Ernest Shackleton and his crew of, uh, I believe, 28, 29 uh, sailors. And the mission was to cross the Antarctic. So to, to date, to that date, the, I mean, this was really the age of, of you know, great heroism and, and, and people were so enthralled with the exploration. And there had been several groups. I mean, Amundsen was, I think, the first from Norway to get to the, the South Pole and successfully have everybody return. And then there was a, another one after that, that, that uh, where people died. But Shackleton's mission was to be the first to cross the entire continent. Could you imagine? I mean, they had sled sleds and sled dogs and all of this, and their goal was to was to cross the continent. And th this this journey was so amazing. I mean, they I, my wife and I read the book Endurance, and oh my goodness, I've forgotten the name of the author, but we read it about two years ago. And it was amazing, Christian, when we read this, it's called Endurance by Alfred Lansing and Shackleton's Incredible Voyage. And we're reading this together and we're like going, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Oh, and could it get any worse? Yes. And then yes. And then yes. I mean, it just kept going from one disaster to another for a two year period. They never reached the the continent uh, as they were in South Georgia Island. You know, we, we Shackleton has been studied in business schools and and you know Harvard. You, you can have courses on on his leadership and in MBA schools all around the world. He was a flawed individual. He was not perfect. Thank goodness, none of us are. Uh, he was very prideful. He was uh, arrogant, and he refused to listen to the whalers in South Georgia that said, "Listen, there's ice flows." coming in. It's probably not a good time for you guys to go down there. And he said, you know, we're, we're going. We got the best ship available, which was the endurance, right? It can endure anything. You know, not a, not dissimilar to the, the people on the Titanic who are thinking, hey, you know, we're, we're unsinkable. And so with this hubris, they, they set off. And sure enough, they got stuck in uh, you know, in, in ice. And, and they were there for, I don't know, like six months stuck in the ice, hoping that it would break. And as the ice would flow, Christian, it took them about a hundred miles away from their destination. And so they realized we're not going anywhere. And the ice kept moving and crushing the ship. And eventually 
it sunk. And so they had to, you know, salvage everything that they had. And what happened is, is that Ernest Shackleton's mission shifted from exploration to saving, you know, just, just survival. Well, why don't we talk about the lessons that can be applied today? Because, you know, you might think, oh, well, this is fun. They found a ship. It sank over 100 years ago. That's a nice history lesson. But why are they teaching it in business school? You know, it, 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 that's such a great question. And it is something that is absolutely, first of all, resonates today just because of, of what's going on uh, in, in our society. I mean, think about where we were two years ago. And, it, you know, just a, a crazy time. And I mean, the, where were we? I remember where I was this week, two years ago. And you and I had started our podcast just recently, a little more than, than two years ago. So this is like the second week and we were into the, into the pandemic and we were just saying, this is going to end. Oh my God, so far there's really no end in sight. Very similar to that Shackleton adventure. We think, oh, they're going to they're going to save themselves. They're going to get, you know, they're going to find a whaling ship or they're going to get to land. And, and no, I mean, so let me just give you a, a clue. So, so they put everything they had into the lifeboats and the, you can imagine they're trudging across the ice with these life lifeboats and they're just not getting, they're not making any progress. The, the dogs are holding them back. Their food is, is, is running out. So they, they actually have to shoot their dogs. Sorry, PETA fans, but they, they chose their own life over the dogs. And then leopard seals would break through the ice and, and attack them. I mean, these huge leopard seals, so deadly, so scary. And they kept shooting them. They, they wouldn't die. They just kept coming after them. And finally, they would, you know, they, they, they would kill these monsters and use their blubber for fuel. And then they would use their skins for jackets and, and boots. And um, so they had all these adventures and then the ice would break up and it would flip over and they'd have to jump into their boats and almost drowned. And, and then they finally get to what's called Elephant Island and it's almost unapproachable. You can't get there, but this little teeny beach, you know, and, but they would eat penguins, you know, they just, how they survived is just beyond me. So they went from disaster to disaster to disaster. And that's no no exaggeration. And finally, they, uh, three or four of them, went on a lifeboat and crossed from Elephant Island to South Georgia. And, and I forget the name of that sea down there, but it is so violent and cold and huge. And just the fact that they crossed that was amazing. And then they get to South Georgia Island. So uh, I want to finish telling the story before I answer your question. And they can't land on the island. So they land on the opposite side of where it's inhabited. They have to cross the entire, it's like climbing the Alps. And, and they have no gear for climbing this snow-covered mountains. And they finally get to civilization. And then they have to go back to Elephant Island. And there were 22 remaining souls. Not one died. Now, along the way, in two years' time, how did they keep, how did Ernest Shackleton keep people focused on staying alive? There were mutinies. The, the ship's carpenter wanted to mutiny. You're no longer the captain. We don't have a ship. We don't have to listen to you. We want to do what we want. I mean, there was just all kinds of challenges. There were people that had different strengths and weaknesses and uh, lack of skill in an area, laziness. Um, there was just all these challenges that they had to do. Boredom was, was a huge issue. But Above all, his mission was 
to save their lives. And he did it. And how he did that and, and, and what he used to be able to do that is what we can take for today. I mean, if you think about just the last two years alone, in parallel of that, of that endurance journey, Christian, uh, we've had the pandemic, which I've mentioned. We've had civil unrest uh, that came to, to a head with the murder of Floyd George. Uh, we've had labor shortages, supply chain issues, inflation, conflicts in places like Armenia and Azerbaijan, a coup in Mali, Persian Gulf, unrest, China, India, Ethiopia, Sudan, and now Russia invading Ukraine. What have I missed in terms of conflicts? There's many more. I mean, that's just the, there's many more small ones, but not small to those people involved, of course. Political tensions here and abroad, the Me Too movement, Brexit, global warming. It's like from one oh no to the next. And for those of you that are listening who are business leaders, what can you learn from this? What can you learn from, from Ernest Shackleton is where we're going to go now. Okay, Spencer. So you've kind of given us the Cliff's Notes version of Ernest uh, Shackleton and his attempted voyage to traverse the the uh, Antarctic uh, continent. You identified three key points that you wanted to discuss today. Because I mean, yes, we could spend hours, as you mentioned. There are entire courses that are taught on 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 this experience, but. Yeah. Boiling it down to these three points, what are these three points? Why don't you give us the first point uh, that you wanted to discuss today with our listeners? So, you know, if you're a leader in business today and, and all these things are happening, you know, inflation, supply chain issues, labor shortages, I mean, that, that's the one of the biggest things that I hear. Um, and that's flexibility. So I'll give you an example. I was just talking to a CEO yesterday in, in uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. And, you know, he'd, he'd come up with, all, he and his executive team came up with all of the strategies that they were going to put in place for the next couple of years. And those have to be put on hold right now because they've had key position losses. It's a manufacturing firm. And, and so they're having to uh, adapt the strategy to what's going on now and the urgency of the situation. So flexibility is key. So that, that, that is in relation to goals, strategies, priorities. We need to be, we need to be able to address what's happening and, and quickly change and not be so stuck in, well, you know, we, we've got to figure out how to get across that ice and, and you know, complete the mission. It, it, it sometimes it's just it's just not worth it. Flexibility in leadership style, you know, Shackleton himself was quite autocratic and domineering and arrogant, as as we talked about. So he excelled in, you know, if you were to think of the six leadership styles: coercion, authoritative, pace setting. He had all of those, but where he sometimes lacked was democratic coaching and. Um, affiliative, right? But but he worked, he actually was an incredible judge of character. He was able to identify uh, his team's personalities and and he and he focused on them. And so he was able to overcome some of his weaknesses. And you know, he you know, part of that autocratic and authoritative was we're gonna have a schedule. We we gotta keep everybody busy because you know we're I refuse to let you die. And so that's where some of those skills came into place. But if you're listening to this and maybe you're naturally an affiliative leader. You're really good at bringing in other 
people to your vision and mission and, and getting their buy-in. Um, maybe you're really good at, at, at letting people's voices get heard, but when you need to be authoritative, hey, this is, so let me give you an example of these six leadership styles in how we clean our rooms, Christian. So coercive, uh, you clean your room, Christian, or no dessert. Right, that's a that's a coercive style of leadership. Uh, authoritative. We have clean rooms in this house. It's what allows us to sleep at night. Right. This is this is the standard. Um, affiliative. Hey, Christian, you go help Lynn clean her room, and then Lynn will help you clean your room. Uh, pace setting. I can clean rooms all day. Right. That's uh, that's that pace setting. Sometimes we have to work hard, and he had to overcome that laziness. Uh, democratic. Who wants to clean their room today? That's not going to work in all circumstances, right? Or, or coaching. Um, you know, Christian, what help do you need to be more effective in cleaning your room? And then, um, did, I, did I get all of them? I think you got them all. Uh, <laughs> you know, the one thing that stuck out to me as, as I was reading up on uh, Shackleton was that uh, he, he would do, he would do, he wouldn't ask his people to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Right. right? Uh, so, so it wasn't like as a leader, I'm like, ah, you do it uh, because I don't want to do it. It's, it's not the stuff that I'm interested in doing, but, but he would, he would be willing to do anything uh, and he could do anything that he would ask his people to do. That's right. And you know, what's interesting is uh, it, it, it makes a big difference when you ask people to do something. I remember when I was young in my career, this is a memory that sticks out and I'm, I hope I don't make anybody sick, but we were in the entertainment business. We developed IMAX theaters. And, and so we would see some interesting things, but I remember my employees came to me, they were just running and they were just so grossed out. Something had happened in the bathroom and they refused to clean it up. I mean, it was just a, a terrible mess. Poor person, whatever happened to them, I, you know, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I went in and cleaned it all up. And after that, there was not a single time that anybody refused anything I asked them to do. <laughs> and so it's amazing what will happen if you, if you, if you do that. And I'm being as delicate as I possibly can about that. Um, but let me, <laughs> let me talk about a different type of flexibility. And that is understanding what stage your organization is. I mean, if you're in, if you're familiar with Tuckman's theory of organizational development, we go from, you know, a forming stage to, to storming, to norming, to performing, to, you know, adjourning, all of that. But no organization linearly progresses. Uh, you know, so for example, this, this organization I was talking about yesterday, I mean, they've been in business for 40 plus years, right? They, but they're in a forming stage. And the forming is they're forming a new executive team. Uh, I'm working with a, a, an executive director of a very large nonprofit in, in Kentucky, uh, Ohio area, just merged with another organization. They're the largest chapter of this uh, Meals on Wheels in, in, in the country. And, you know, in a sense, they're reforming because they've, they've brought two teams together. So they're in a different stage. And so in that forming stage where you have the strategy and the mission that's being announced, the style of leadership that, that really works best is that coercive or authoritative or pace setting. You're setting that vision and direction. But then when the, the stormings, when the problems happen and, and people are, you know, you're no longer the captain of the ship because we no longer have that ship. And so we're, 
we're pushing back and saying, you know, I want to have some authority or I need to, you know, so-and-so's department is stepping on my toes. That's where we need that personality that, that can communicate and, and really engage and create that affiliative nature. And that requires the ability to over-communicate and, and just be expressive and really compassionate. You know, they got rid of the dogs, but he kept a banjo. And they carried a banjo. You think, well, that's superfluous. But he knew that morale was so important. So that's one of the reasons why they they would keep that. So, he, you know, you have to be able to adapt to which stage of business you're in. And maybe you have separate teams that are in different stages. And how do you bring your leadership to adjust? And I think Shackleton did a great job of that. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things, Spencer, about uh, Shackleton is that uh, you mentioned he was a flawed individual and yeah. he had, uh, you know, in addition to all the other character traits that you mentioned where he, he was arrogant and prideful, uh, um, he was also a womanizer, uh, but deeply and he made some, he made some strategic, he made some serious strategic errors. You mentioned like launching out, uh, even when the, the whalers were telling, you know, the, the ice flows are, are challenging and it's not advisable to do it. So he made some serious mistakes and yet he was able to, he was able to, through all of this, keep his team performing even when he was not perfect. And sometimes in, in today's age, you know, we may feel like, you know, I have to perform as a leader. I have to be perfect. Otherwise, I won't merit. I won't have the authority. I won't have the credibility with my team if I am making mistakes, whether they're small mistakes or a, a large a strategic mistake. And I'm curious uh, from your reading and your study of, of Shackleton, how he was able to overcome some serious misjudgments on his own to still maintain his group and keep everybody alive until the end, because that, uh, that to me is, is, is pretty miraculous, honestly. You know, I, I love your characterization and I see that so often in, in executives, even more in young executives where they are wanting to prove themselves and have somewhat of a, imposter syndrome, right? They want to, they want to prove that they deserve to be there, that they have all the answers. And, you know, this was, this was his mission to make a name for himself. He was out for fame and glory, really. And um, I think the redeeming quality that he had is that he actually cared about the men more than he did you know, the, the glory. Now, I don't know if he was thinking, Hey, if I save these men, then that will be a great story on social media. Of course they didn't have it back then. That could be in the back of his mind, but in, in every case, as you look at the history and, and what was, what was done, he always put the, the lives of his men first. He, he did not want to lose any life. And, and I think that's a, a you know, a, a great lesson. We're going to make mistakes. I believe that if your people as an executive know that you care about them and put them first, they're going to give you some grace when you make a mistake. I, I, I think that's what Stephen Covey called the, the emotional bank account, right? When you, when you make those deposits into the emotional bank account of, of the people that you're serving, 
there are times when you have to make withdrawals, right? And so that's when that coercive or authoritative style can have effect because people trust you. I, I, I share stories of a great leader, Kelvin Kellamore. I've talked about him many times. And when I share that with a lot of executives, sometimes they cringe like, oh my gosh, I could never say that to my people. Well, Kelvin could say it to me because I knew he loved me and he cared about me. And so it wasn't just a someone who was using me as a cog in the wheel, you know, of, of the machine of, of business for his own profit. He truly wanted my success. He wanted to see me be successful. And Shackleton wanted them to survive. And so I think that that resonated with them. They realized that, hey, he's not just out for fame and glory, which was the original mission. All of us were. Now he just wants us to get home to our families. And and I think with, with all of what's happening in the past two years, do we slow down? And I have heard more discussion about mental health and well-being than I've ever heard in the business world these, these past two years. And, and it's been a long time in coming. It's really hard to separate personal life from business life. And I think business leaders are, are realizing that because each of, you know, our, we're, one, we're human and our personal lives affect us in business and our business life affects us in, in, in our personal life. It's just, they do. And so we have this enormous responsibility, as Clayton Christensen said, Management is the greatest profession because of how it has the ability to influence people. That's that's my answer. I don't. What what do you see? And and, and one other thing, but I, I'd love to hear what you say. Uh no, I I uh, I totally agree. Um, I, I just I, I brought it up because sometimes, and myself included, I I, I might be fearful. Uh, I might be operating in a little bit of fear because I have made mistakes. Right. which I think uh, have impacted my credibility. But I think your, your point is an important one. Uh, even though in, you know, in, a, in, in the recent generation, you know, we, we were taught that the shareholder is paramount and right. uh, we, we should be uh, making sure that the shareholders are taken care of. Uh, uh, you know, the Shackleton experience shows, and I think, as you mentioned, recent experience shows in the last uh, several years, uh, particularly with the pandemic, that the employees are are just as important, if not more so. And if you are able to take care of their needs, um, then they will deliver for you and they will do anything. Uh, they will. I'm, you're right. I didn't mean to cut out because that thought was so great. I, those things aren't mutually exclusive, focusing on the shareholder and focusing on the employee. I mean, if you think about it, I think Costco is a great case study in that, right? They they focused on the employee first, and as a result, the stock has had you know one of the most continuously steady rises of of any corporation. Yet they are a people centric organization, and so I think instead of the you know the quick return on investment, when you invest in people, the long term return is always going to come back. Why? Because people want to perform. And I think that's the thing that that really is is key. When you focus on people, it always comes back to you. And and I just I, I love that example. And uh, you know he 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 learned from mistakes. And so you can recover. So let me give you another. Uh, there's two other sources that that kind of talk about you don't have to be perfect. But Dr. John Gottman said um, out of Seattle, who studied relationships for over 30 years, you have to have at least five positive 
to every one negative interaction. So that's the, that's the emotional bank account, right? But there's going to be times when you have to get down on somebody and you have to, you, you have to give them critical feedback or you, you have to say, you know, you messed up. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, is that a, a leader has to recognize when they mess up and own it. And I think you're, you know, if you have an outburst or you, or you make a poor decision under pressure, um, it, it's not enough to just say, hey, I'm sorry, I did that. It is, listen, here's what was happening to me. Here's, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I did. And I'm working really hard to, to make that better in my, in my demeanor, in my leadership style. People, I think, will, will be a little more understanding of that because they recognize that we're not perfect. Well, when it came to, uh, you know, perfection and Shackleton, as you mentioned, he faced disaster after disaster, failure after failure. Uh, and you have talked about the concept of fail forward. And I'm wondering if you can just explain what you mean by fail forward a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's what's interesting is that it's it's really learning from mistakes. And there are there are certain personalities that are naturally disposed to be able to do that. They're typically high dominant, low conformity people like an Ernest Shackleton. They're not afraid to experiment. And in, in many cases, you know, they're like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something out. And, you know, General Patton said a, a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan next week. And so sometimes we get it so stuck in perfectionism. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to do something wrong that we do nothing. And so the idea is, is that especially in an environment where we're like in today, you, you, we keep hearing this word unprecedented, right? I mean, the, the, the economy is challenged, the, the, the political environment and uh, labor shortages and mental wellness. So how do we solve and deal with those? Well, I don't know. But what I do know is we have to, we have to experiment. We have to test. We have to, let's, how do we respond to this situation? Well, let's, let's come up with this plan and react quickly and if it doesn't work, we stop and go in a different direction. And I think some leaders at the top of organizations really struggle with that because they don't want to get it wrong. And I understand that. You know, we, we have only limited resources. But those resources can be uh, just as stretched if we do nothing and wait for a long period of time. And so the idea of fail forward is to proactively and conscientiously innovate. And, and experiment and come up with plans and strategies. And if it doesn't work, great, change direction. And that's, you know, that's an, that, that ties very closely with that first principle of flexibility. Yeah, you know, in the software development world, the, the methodology that has kind of taken the world by storm over the last 10 or 15 years is called Agile, right? Right, yes. And, and, the, and the principle behind Agile is that you don't know the end from the beginning. So you cannot plan for every contingency. So just develop to what you know now, and then make uh, adjustments as you as you continue along. And and we have seen organizations try to adopt this same method, right? This agile method, where we can sprint uh, to a particular you know uh, outcome, and if it works, then fantastic. If not, then we can quickly course correct. So I I think the concept of fail forward is a is an important yeah. one. That's the exact idea of Agile. No, that's that's exactly what that is. You actually have scrum masters that lead that that two week sprint, right? And then you figure out what worked, what didn't, and you re, you, you course adjust. And that concept that started in IT has been applied to HR and management, and, and it's really permeating a lot of business. Where you know you can't have the old waterfall method. There are times when that's appropriate. So let's be clear: we don't just always use an Agile methodology. 
But the idea is, is that we do this, then we do that, then we do this, and we, and we start from the back, right? Here's the end goal, and then we work backwards, and that's our plan. But this is we go in short chunks, and then we readjust the plan as we go. And that is an idea of flexibility and agility, and I, and, and I, I love that you brought that up. All right. Well, guess what? We're, we're up against it, Spencer. So no. why don't we have some closing remarks about uh, Shackleton, and, and, uh, and then we'll conclude. You know, I think one of the things that um, that also uh, really the third thing that I, I just mentioned, but I really didn't get into was resonance. And, you know, we had I, I had a client that was trying to interpret the situation that was going on with Floyd George. And he just it just fell short because he really didn't understand what was going on with his people. And it wasn't resonant. And it actually created frustration with the team. And, you know, we need to be aware of how our words and our choices are impacting or resonating with our employees. Part of the great resignation is happening because people, you know, you've got the transfer portal in sports where people feel like they're not being given a chance or not being listened to. We need to be a, do a better job of resonating. And I think um, that's one of the things that, that Shackleton was able to do. His care for his team resonated with them enough that he got the most out of them in those terrible situations. And that's really a lesson that we can all learn. Well said. Well, Spencer, it's been a very, very educational, informative, and inspiring 30 minutes uh, with you today. If people want to learn more about how you might be able to help them uh, develop these resonant, uh, flexible, fail-forward leadership skills, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? You know, email me, spencer at altiumleadership.com. Uh, go to our website, altium, A-L-T-I-U-M, leadership.com. And Christian, you know, I, I, there's a reason I, I love just working with you. You bring so much wisdom and perspective, and major organizations are wise to, to reach out to you. And how can they do that? Uh, well, you can contact me at uh, email as well, cnapier at gp4.com, gpfour.com, or at our new startup, Raconto. R-A-K-O-N-T-O dot I-O. Uh, you can go to the website or email me, Christian at raconto.io or LinkedIn. Just look me up on LinkedIn, Christian Napier. Hey, so when are we meeting again next? Uh, next Tuesday, right? Uh, I think 10 a.m. Mountain Time. 10 a.m. Mountain Time. We'll yeah, do our next so live event. That's right. And uh, so let's see. Kelly Martin says, thanks, folks. Good stuff. Hey, we actually got a comment live. That's that's what we want to do. Thanks, Kelly. I'm so Kelly. Now she's a great leader from the Yosemite uh, uh, National Park. Their their uh, fire management team. She's since retired, but I'm telling you what, what an incredible leader that she was. A a, a woman in typically what's considered you know male dominated firefighting out you know kind of a quasi military. Just what a what a great leader she's been, and so glad that you joined us, Kelly. And then Andreas. Mavroginas, thank you. Goodness, thank you for joining us. It's so good to 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 see a couple of you uh, out there. You know, here's the other thing, Christian. Before we go, I want to hear from you in the audience. What do you want to hear about? What are the things that that will be helpful to you? Uh, so next week we're going to be 10 10 p uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, Kelly says it was a wild ride. Yes, it was, and 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 I love that you shared a little bit of that ride with me. You. Uh, Boy, you 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 made some uh, some you set a great precedent and and great leadership. I just love that there's so many great people out there fighting the fight like Ernest Shackleton did, 
truly. Um, and we want to hear from you and we want to be able to plan ahead some of these topics so that you can join us. And we apologize from time to time if things don't go exactly right. We're producing this show live and we appreciate, you know, your, your, uh, your patience as sometimes technology just frustrates us. <laughs> Absolutely. So as Spencer mentioned, listeners, please, uh, Feel free to leave your comments and let us know what you would like us to discuss in upcoming episodes of our podcast. Please like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week at 10 a.m. Mountain Time.